this week on the Back Table Podcast. And Aaron, if I can add one other thing with respect to uh, uh, other places considering hybrid ORs, you know, certainly every institution is, is different. Uh, but I think the key thing is upfront having the communication between all the stakeholders, uh, particularly yeah. interventional and surgery. You know, from the very beginning, if you have an understanding of, of what to expect, then uh, it, it leaves a lot of that, uh, that tension uh, um, out of the, the, you know, the, the developments as, the, as they go forward. So, you know, having communication upfront, having uh, leadership both on the interventional side and on the radio- radiology side that believes in this, uh, that because it truly is the best thing for, for the patients. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Back Table Podcast, your source for all things IR and endovascular. You can find all previous episodes of our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, and the Back Table app. This is Aaron Fritz as your host this week, and I'm very excited to introduce our guest today, interventional radiologist Dr. John Roccadio and pediatric surgeon Dr. Dan Von Allman, coming to us from Cincinnati Children's Hospital. Welcome, guys. Thanks, Aaron. It's great to be here. Um, before we dive into our topic today, just want to take, uh, say a quick word from our sponsor, RADPAD. RADPAD was developed by physicians for physicians, clinically proven radiation protection during CINE and digital subtraction and geography. Don't bet your career or your health on anything less. Trust RADPAD radiation protection shields for all your floral guided interventions. See RADPAD.com for more information or contact info at RADPAD.com for a free radiation evaluation and a no-brainer radiation protection cap. And let them know you heard about it on the Back Table podcast. Real quick, John uh, and Dan, actually, do you guys use anything special for radiation protection beyond, you know, the the, the lead aprons and, and shields, or do you use the rad pad materials in your in y'all's work? Um, the, the what we have used in, in the past are the uh, uh, dosimetry badges that uh, that uh, gauge real time scatter. Uh, but uh, that was uh, back in uh, our interventional radiology labs. We have the capability in the hybrid OR that we just opened up recently, but we haven't implemented that yet. All right. Sounds good. Well, yeah, if you're interested, uh, you know, the rad pad protection stuff is, is helpful and, and uh, people are, are using more of it out there. Um, so let's jump into our topic for today. Uh, we're going to be talking about hybrid ORs and um, when and where they can be implemented Um to help with collaboration amongst different specialties and also uh, really improve patient care. Um, John and uh, Dan, um, I just wanted to have you guys introduce yourselves real quick and and talk about um, your practice briefly before we jump into the topic. John, you want to go ahead and start? Sure. Um, My name is John Mercadio, and I am a clinical pediatric interventional radiologist and the director of our interventional radiology research and innovation uh, program and uh, director of our IR slash hybrid OR research lab. And my name is Dan Von Allman. I am the surgeon-in-chief at Cincinnati Children's Hospital, but I'm a general pediatric surgeon by training with a career that has focused mainly on pediatric surgical oncology. Great. And um, 
So today, our topic being the, the hybrid OR, I, I wanted to first maybe have one, you, um, you know, John, if you could just describe what is a hybrid OR for those who are, aren't familiar. We do have a lot of trainees listening to the, the podcast. And how did the idea of the hybrid OR come about at Cincinnati Children's? Uh, well, basically, a hybrid OR is a generic term for uh, an operating room that's equipped with uh, excellent imaging equipment. Traditionally, uh, a, you know, uh, a, um, a uh, state-of-the-art angiographic unit. Um, the idea for the hybrid OR was really a, a combination of uh, myself and Dan, quite honestly, uh, who shared a common interest in bringing more imaging to the uh, to the operating room? And you know, Dan, maybe you can comment a little bit about the background as well. Yeah, um, I, I think that as somebody who has spent a lot of time struggling in the operating room uh, with complex tumors, I really felt that there was an opportunity to combine the expertise and imaging of the radiologist with the surgical skills of a surgeon to actually provide better care for the patient. And so when we talk about our hybrid operating room, as John mentioned, it really is uh, the traditional hybrid OR that has an operating room uh, with uh, imaging equipment in it primarily set up for fluoroscopy. But we've also uh, taken that a step further and we feel that it should be all imaging modalities. So we have nice ultrasound equipment and other things in our OR because, again, the concept is how can we combine the skill set of the radiologist with the surgeon to provide the best care for the patient? Great. And and which... uh, Oh, sorry. Go ahead, John. Oh, so uh, one thing, uh, Aaron... Just as as a little bit more background uh, of how this evolved, in 2002, interventional radiology moved from the radiology department up to the uh, OR area, so a a different building uh, and three floors up. So there's a conscious effort even in 2002 to to move interventional radiology closer to the periop environment. So... uh, from 2002, that, that really fostered collaboration between the interventionalists and, and the surgeons. And this has really uh, culminated in the opening of, of the hybrid OR, which was opened up about one and a half years ago. Okay. Yeah, that's that's a good point, John. And, and do you guys share like recovery areas and that sort of thing with periop? We share pre-op and uh, recovery areas, and they are physically immediately adjacent. The IR suites are immediately adjacent to the operating rooms. Okay. Yeah, that, that does make it convenient. Um, and what other kinds of uh, – uh, sorry, what other subspecialties are, are using the hybrid OR? So we've had really broad participation across the surgical subspecialties. And when John and I had this idea and started to implement it, we were specifically interested in not uh, localizing it in one specialty or one type of procedure, uh, but uh, trying to explore the opportunities for any of the surgical subspecialties to benefit from the combination of surgery and radiology. So Uh, We have nine divisions of surgery at the Children's Hospital, including orthopedics and ENT, plastics, uh, urology, general surgery, neurosurgery, and almost all of those um, divisions have done at least one case in the uh, the hybrid OR. And and Aaron, it's it's even extended beyond the surgical subspecialties. We also have done, uh, have performed cases 
with our interventional pulmonologists and our interventional gastroenterologists. Yeah, I saw, you guys had sent me some examples of uh, some case, like some tricky uh, bio, you know, uh, lung biopsy cases, and uh, that seemed to be successfully done. You know, combining IR and pulmonary in that hybrid OR, which uh, looked like they turned out really well. First, I did want to um, ask you guys if you can give me just maybe a couple examples of particularly challenging cases where the hybrid OR really benefited involving multiple specialties? Well, um, Aaron, I think uh, maybe an example of, of, of a type of case that has actually just changed our entire workflow uh, is uh, localization of pulmonary nodules for thoracoscopic resection. Okay. So prior to the hybrid OR, we would uh, perform uh, localization under CT guidance down in the radiology department uh, shuffle the OR staff and the patient from the CT scanner onto the gurney, uh, back up to the OR, get them off the gurney, put them, you know, in a uh, decubitus position for thoracoscopy. And then ultimately uh, the surgeons would then perform the thoracoscopy. So now what we do is uh, we've eliminated all those steps. So we bring the patient into the hybrid OR, we place them in the thoracoscopic position, which would allow best access for, for a resection. And then we'll localize the pulmonary nodule after performing a cone beam CT. And uh, we'll typically leave a Copan's breast localization wire right next to the nodule. And then the surgeons can immediately resect it thoracoscopically. So the advantages of that are many, not the least of which is that certainly it's safer than moving the patient all over the hospital, but also the incredible frustration of sticking this thoracoscopy thoracoscope in and finding that the wire has pulled out during all of the transport, uh, transport through the through the hospital. So uh, we really think that as we get more data, we're going to be able to demonstrate this is substantially better for patient care. The one thing that's been a common thing, common theme amongst uh, the surgeons that that I've been able to work with is an increased confidence in the procedure. So for example, uh, we've performed some uh, tumor resections with our plastic surgeons, um, our neurosurgeons as well, where the ability to perform an intraoperative CT to look for tumor margins uh, radiographically uh, for, you know, large resections such as a, a skull fibrous dysplasia resection um, or in a tumor invading the maxillary sinus. That's been really invaluable for the surgeon to be able to perform the uh, intraoperative cone beam CT after initial resection. And then when there is residual disease, I'm able to localize that uh, with some of the guidance materials that are part of the hybrid OR. And then they go on for further resection. So increasing confidence in procedures has been a common theme. Yeah. And what, uh, um, what has been the feedback from, you know, uh, staff and, and patient experiences? So from the surgeon's perspective, um, we, we push to get people to try it once they try it in general. They think it's wonderful. Uh, by and large, everyone has found it incredibly valuable. Uh, John talked about that, that uh, case with the fibrous dysplasia. Very, very helpful to keep that surgeon from finding on a post-op scan that they left tumor in place. Another mm -hmm. example of, of the resource question that you asked, uh, Aaron, is the Urologists have used it for stone cases, and typically their protocol 
suggested that they needed to get a CT scan then post-op at some point, and that scan can be done immediately in the OR and avoids the need for the patient to come back to the hospital for another scan. So those surgeons have found it to be be incredibly useful. The orthopedic group um, has used it for a number of cases, tumor cases and such, and found it very useful. But to be perfectly transparent, they've also had some challenges with the imaging quality, which uh, which John could probably speak to better than I. So, yeah, initially on, on our system, we have a, a, a Philips FlexMove uh, uh, FD20 uh, system. And the uh, image quality traditionally for an angiographic unit is uh, really optimized for vascular work. So uh, for, the, for orthopedic work, the orthopedic surgeons, their eyes are used to a lot more contrast in the image, in the uh, actual flor- fluoroscopy image. So initially, that was just something new to them, and, and they, uh, you know, they really wanted more contrast. So we worked with our uh, imaging specialists uh, and uh, the Philips team to come out and actually create new uh, protocols or new fluoroscopy protocols that really uh, bring out the contrast to make it uh, more suitable for the orthopedic's eye. Uh, very cool. And did you guys have any, um, you mentioned some growing pains, some growing pains with imaging. What about with room design? Was it hard to kind of make sure you, you know, designed it so that all the equipment could fit and, you know, logistically uh, so that when you're, you're, you know, changing uh, staff or changing specialties, you know, were there any issues with, with, uh, with that sort of thing? It's a great point, Aaron. And and we spent a lot of time uh, before we actually started construction uh, with planning teams uh, from from the architects to the imaging people to surgeons from multiple different uh, uh, specialties, as well as the OR staff, uh, to to plan this in a way that we felt like we were when we actually opened it, we will have worked out many of the bugs before they occurred. We we went and visited a number of hybrid rooms in the area and um, really tried to identify what what were the characteristics of the room that we wanted and it, everything down to boom placement and all the other important things that you don't want to find out when you actually open the room that it doesn't work. So we spent a lot of time before actual construction to put that in place. Once construction took place, uh, we have found really very, very few challenges with regard to the actual outfitting of the room and the way it's designed. We're fortunate to have a very large space. So it's a beautiful room that's got plenty of uh, space for all of the various pieces of equipment in it. And then the other thing that we've done in terms of operationalizing it is to tier the cases that go in there. So a tier one case is a case that requires all of the potential technology and people who could offer assistance, including the interventional radiologist, the IR techs, all the bells and whistles really coming together. A tier two case is a case that involves surgery and the just the radiology techs. A tier three case would be the IR docs and the IR techs as an add-on room to the current IR rooms. And then a tier four case would just be a general surgery case that's used as a as an add-on room uh, that doesn't really particularly require the uh, interventional equipment that's in there. So by doing that, we tried to figure out exactly what resources need to be in place um, to optimize the use of the room. 
Yeah, that was uh, that's a good point that you raised because I was going to ask that about you know what when it's not being used as a quote unquote hybrid OR with you know these when these complex cases is it just being used as a regular OR uh, in the meantime or how is it being shared and how is scheduling being done is there a priority um, there or is it because um, that's where conflict can arise as you guys probably know. Sure. So we we certainly prioritize it for the complex cases that require the capabilities that that room offers. If those if it's not needed for those cases, then we would use it for the other lower priority cases that could be done in any operating room. And at least to date, we haven't had too much trouble in terms of conflict. My hope is actually that as uh, as people begin to use it more and more, we'll get to the point where the demand exceeds the supply. But we haven't reached that point yet. Yeah. And one one thing, Aaron, that um, also what we've done with respect to uh, reutilization and coordinating cases since we've opened uh, is when we are doing a procedure for the first time, let's say with our neurosurgeons, uh, you know, th- they're growing pains in, in, in position equipment uh, where their staff needs to be. So each time we perform those cases, we learn from that. So then the subsequent cases are already, uh, the room's already set up in that manner. And when possible, what we like to do, we have an excellent uh, program manager for the hybrid OR, uh, Nicole Hilvert. She's, we, we stole her. She's one of our uh, really good IR techs, but she now really is, is in charge of the hybrid OR and does a lot of coordination. We'll actually try to have a walkthrough with members from the uh, the respective teams. So let's say we might be doing something with IR, surgery, and also uh, ENT or even pul- pulmonology. Uh, we'll get members from each of the teams sometime before the case to do a quick 10-minute walkthrough as far as where they're going to need to be positioned uh, and so forth. And also we have someone from anesthesia involved as well particularly if we ever need to do a, uh, a cone beam CT where the, you know, the position of uh, tubes and, and lines is very critical to the ability for the CRM to sweep around the patient. So a lot of pre-planning has is, is been really helpful in making sure these cases go as smoothly as possible. Dan, you were talking about when you guys were researching, uh, you know, or planning out um, the, the hybrid OR in the in beginning stages, how did you guys, de, um, when you were visiting other hybrid ORs, uh, how did you guys decide on the equipment that you chose? Um, and are there many options out there for maybe for somebody who's in the process right now, you know, maybe help guide them, you know, why you guys decided on the, the unit that you decided on? So um, there are certainly options out there. I think for us, uh, as we looked around at, at other places, the honest answer is we primarily focused on the type of equipment that we already have, which is the Philips system. Um, John can talk about it a bit more, but we have actually a very unique setup here where we have the same system in the interventional radiology suite, in the operating room, and then in a research lab. And that really affords us the ability to develop procedures in the lab and translate them directly to the clinical care mode, uh, either in the interventional radiology suite or in the operating room. So, yeah, to add on to that, as Dan mentioned, uh, we we do have Philips equipment. There are certainly other vendors that that are out there to, to choose from that offers uh, different solutions. 
But the fact that we have had a longstanding relationship with Philips on the interventional side and the interventional research side, uh, there are some new uh, uh, technologies coming out that that we've been working on in the uh, the research on the research side, uh, not only in, with the interventional physicians but the the surgeons. As Dan mentioned, we're we're practicing uh, some techniques and different procedures in the research lab. So when these new technologies are available, we can uh, use them and feel comfortable with them in the clinical hybrid OR. Yeah, and uh, John, you raised the the your your research lab. I did want to ask you a little bit more uh, for our listeners to tell tell us about the IR translational research and simulation lab because I don't how many places have this and it's a very interesting uh, things that you guys that you guys have at Cincinnati. Yeah, so uh, about I think about eight years ago, we opened up a uh, interventional research lab. Uh, because of our relationship that we had with Philips, there was uh, discussion about uh, uh, creating a lab like this uh, where we could test out, uh, you know, prototype technologies that Philips was considering implementing on their nav- on their interventional systems. So the hospital saw the the uh, the, the potential benefit of this. And in particular, the benefit if we were able to translate some of these new technologies to a hybrid OR, which we had been thinking of, you know, even way back then. So basically, it's a system uh, similar to our interventional systems that we have clinically, uh, as well as our clinical hybrid OR. Uh, There are some uh, new technologies where where we're looking at incorporating video guidance into the uh, interventional system, which uh, typically I, Phillips is initially planning to to implement this with spine surgery, but we're looking at a lot of other more broad applications as well. So the research lab has been a great lab for preclinical research. It's been also a great lab for training, not only our interventional fellows, uh, but training with our surgeons and developing procedures in an atmosphere where there's less stress and there's more ability to be creative. Mm-hmm. Is it also an animal lab? Are you guys doing uh, procedures on animals or is it? Uh, the, the lab is uh, 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 fully capable and we do a lot of procedures with animals. Uh, it's just so the, the, the reality of, you, of, of the animal model and a lot of the things that we're doing uh, is I think really important in simulating what you're going to be uh, uh, up against in a clinical environment. So gotcha. we've used large, small animals, large animals, and cadavers all in the uh, in the lab to yeah. assist with these simulations. So it's really been great. <clears throat> we've even had some collaborations with uh, other institutions, uh, even uh, collaborations with colleagues from uh, Stockholm at the. Karolinska Institute, the Neurovascular Institute. So uh, uh, we look forward to having other uh, multidisciplinary collaborations, uh, not only within our hospital, but with other institutions. Very cool. Um, So before we wrap things up, there's one thing I wanted to talk to you guys about. And, um, you know, we kind of touched on this a little bit, but uh, I've, I've been talking to some private practice guys about hybrid ORs, and this actually came up 
at one of the uh, one of the local um, uh, hospitals in Dallas that I, that I used to work at, uh, where they were in plans to, to build a hybrid OR, and and you know a lot of you know s- several IRs I spoke to were were against it because they were worried about competition rather than collaboration, <laughs> and um, you know most of the most of it had to do with you know scheduling issues, who's gonna you know who's gonna have priority and those sorts of things, and. Um, and that might that might be more of a private practice mindset, but I was just wondering to get your your input and see if there's if you had any you know words for people out there who are considering it, um, and you know and and ways that it actually can help your patients and your practice rather than hurt it. Uh, Aaron, I think you you point out a a significant barrier uh, for many people. I think that. Uh, for a number of reasons, we're, uh, this has been a little bit easier to get started here in Cincinnati. First of all, we're all employees of the hospital, so that takes away some of the financial issues. doesn't take them completely away, but certainly minimizes them. We also have a very longstanding uh, culture of collaboration. So when we work together, we truly work together on this stuff. But I think your last point is really the most important one, which is and I tell our junior surgeons in particular this all the time, that you shouldn't focus on you, you should focus on the patient. And the whole concept here is to figure out how can we treat patients better to get better outcomes uh, with lower morbidity. And that's really the rationale that justifies figuring out how to make this work. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I, I could think of a couple of ways. You know, I used to uh, put the, the balloon occlusion catheters in for the placenta, procreta, and accreta cases that went to the OR to, to then have, you know, uh, the, 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 deliver, uh, the child delivered. And then uh, take, usually they would take the uterus out, but all to prevent, you know, intraoperative, uh, you know, severe bleeding. And uh, mm-hmm. I really, this uh, hybrid OR would be so uh, what it would have made that case so much safer for the patient rather than having to transport them all over the hospital with, with, you know, bilateral femoral access and balloon occlusion catheters in place. And I, and I, you know, once they get to the OR, I don't even know if they're still in place or not. So, you know, stuff like that, where it would be immensely helpful. Um, and uh, just another side is my, my wife is a pediatric ENT down here at Dallas children's and she does a fair number of the JNA cases and again, you know, they, they get the preoperative embolization, but they've recently done some, uh, some also intraoperative embolizations at the time of resection, and she found those immensely helpful. So I, I could see it where, um, you know, I think it'll catch on. It's just a matter of time and, and resources. And Aaron, if I can add one other thing with respect to uh, other places considering hybrid ORs, you know, certainly every institution is, is different. Uh, but I think the key thing is upfront having the communication between all the stakeholders, uh, particularly yeah. interventional and surgery. You know, from the very beginning, if you have an understanding of of what to expect, then uh, it, it leaves a lot of that uh, that tension uh, um, out of the, the you know the the developments as the, as they go forward. So you know, having communication upfront, having uh, leadership both on the interventional side and on the radio radiology side that believes in this uh, that because it truly is the best thing for for the patients uh, I think those things are are, are are certainly key one thing that I've noticed is that uh, with regard to image guidance I think surgeons and interventionalists tradi- are traditionally don't even speak the language the same language uh, 
surgeons don't know all the possibilities that are capable in a hybrid OR, and the interventional radiologists don't know the nuances that the surgeons uh, need uh, for various surgeries. So again, communication between both those groups will allow uh, you know the best thing to be done for the for the patients. Yeah, I think that's that's a great uh, last point there, John. Is there is there anything else you guys wanted to add? Oh, that's great, Aaron. I certainly, as a surgeon, really appreciate the opportunity to participate, and um, uh, thank you for the opportunity. Well, thank you, guys. And uh, just to finish up, um, just wanted to let uh, our listeners know that you can, again, find all our previous episodes of our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, and the Backtable app. Again, thank you to our sponsor, Radpad. And uh, thank you again, um, John Rocadio and uh, Dan Von Alman for coming on. I appreciate it. And uh, uh, everyone take care. All right. Thank you, Aaron. Thanks, Aaron.